Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm delighted to welcome elite athlete and Olympian Debbie Flood. Debbie Flood, welcome to Facing the Cannon. Thank you, it's great to be here. Well, you, I, I've done over a hundred of these interviews. You're my first elite athlete. <laughs> so you grew up in the north of England, Harrogate. Yep, I did, I grew up in Yorkshire, yep. And when did you start enjoying sport? Oh, I loved sport as far back as I can remember. I grew up in a really sporty family, so my dad loved running, he was a marathon runner. My mum also enjoyed running and being out on her bike. So myself and my younger brother, we just grew up doing sport. And, you know, and, and was it judo that you started to do? Well, running was my first love. I wanted to do what my dad did. So running was my, my first love, really. But then uh, at a young age, probably around 14, I got in, involved in the judo team. Uh, and again, I just, I loved competing. I loved working hard. And I actually ended up getting into the, the junior GB um, team for the, for the judo and thought that maybe that was going to be my, my big sport, you know. I used to watch the Olympics with my dad and think, wow, they're superhuman. But actually, I knew that I loved sport. I knew that I was passionate about it. And I thought, I wonder if one day I could ever be that good. <laughs> so how did you switch from judo to rowing? Yeah, well, growing up in Yorkshire at that time, rowing wasn't a big sport in this country back in 1997. And so Yorkshire was not renowned for its rowing or for its long straight rivers, you know, we have rapids and bends. So I knew nothing about rowing. My school didn't row. I, I'd never noticed it on the television on the Olympics. So I was in the gym one day training for my judo and using the rowing machine. And somebody came up to me and said, are you a rower? And I said, no, why do you ask? And they said, you are doing really good times on that rowing machine. And I think because I'd done sport from a young age, I was naturally quite fit and strong. So on the rowing machine, I, I was doing quite well. And so I just thought, oh, okay, let's try this in my summer holidays and went on a learn to row course. And that was really the kind of start of it. Well, what was your initial experience of as you started? Obviously very good in the gym, yeah, but it's yeah. a different story out on the water, isn't it? Well, little did I know. I mean, I the course was in London. I thought, wonderful, go to London for a week, row up and down the river, see how it goes. Little did I know actually how technical the sport is. And I pretty much spent my first, my week rowing, um, I, swimming because I fell in so much. Oh, did you? Yeah, I just went nowhere. You know, I beat all the boys on the rowing machine and then I came last on all the rowing on the water. Um, but there was something about it, something that I wanted to continue with. And yeah, I kept going and the coach from uh, London really encouraged me. He could see I was strong on the rowing machine. Um, so I went back to Yorkshire, I found a local club, I joined the local club. And you know, that was actually where you know, God brought someone into my path that I exactly needed. Um, so the coach from London had told a guy called Mark Banks, who was at the time the chief junior coach um, of British rowing. And he told him about me. Now, his job normally would be to coach the best in the country. That was his job. That's all he had to do, Co coach the best in the country to go to the World Championships. But for some reason, he decided to come and have a look at me. He looked at me on the rowing machine and was quite impressed, looked at me on the water. You know, I was on the wrong side of the river. I nearly fell in. It was terrible. But he sat down with me and said, 
I'm going to take you on. I'm going to coach you. I want you to travel to Nottingham every weekend and I'm going to coach you. And that was absolutely unheard of, but it was the one thing I needed. I already had the fitness and strength. I needed the technical coaching and he was the best technical coach in the country. Years later, did you ever ask him why he did that? <laughs> I did. I mean, I, I know him really well still and he coached me for many years, actually. Um, and he just said, he said, I don't know. There was just something about you, some kind of determination that I just wanted to work with and I knew you were going to make it. But he obviously, Debbie, spotted in you potential. Yeah. Yeah. He obviously spotted in you ability. And isn't mm. it incredible the difference a coach can make? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I had a conversation recently uh, about school and, uh, and we were talking about the subjects that we did. And the ones that I liked were the ones where I got on really well with my teachers. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the power of the teacher or the coach, coach. to motivate and engage you know, the individual is is so great. Um, and he really was, you know, he looked after me, he looked out for me and, you know, he, he kind of took me under his wing really for the next seven or eight years. So when did you realise and when did he realise that you were championship <laughs> type of possibilities? Yeah, so actually once he started to coach me and really focus, focus, focus on the technical aspect of rowing. I actually did then progress quite quickly. So in that first year, I ended up going to the Junior World Championships in a, in a double with Francis Horton and we got a bronze medal there. And, and how old were you? I was 17 at that point. Yeah, 17. Well, quite young. Yeah, yeah. So it was right at the beginning of my career. It was the last, the last year I could be a junior and then I would be moving up to under 23s and senior things. Um, but, you know, we all make our life plans, don't we? My life plan was to finish my A-levels that year after I rode and then take two year gap year before going to university, row full time, go to the Sydney Olympics, tick the Olympic box and then get on and be a veterinary surgeon. That was my plan. life plan. That was my, that was, if you'd have given me any other option of life, that was the best one that I could come up with. But at the age of 17, getting a bronze medal, that's pretty good. It was an amazing, amazing start. So what did that lead to? Yeah, so that led to me then um, being able to uh, commit to those two years. I got a very small amount of funding, which enabled me to pay rent so that I didn't have to um, work too much in that time. I did have a part-time job, but I just, I mainly focused on rowing. So I took my gap year, focused on rowing road for um, and two Debbie, years. when you say mm. focused on rowing, yeah. okay, give us give us an idea. <laughs> what does that mean? What? How many hours a day? Yeah, well, well, so we train two or three times every day, and a training session would last between ninety and hundred minutes. So we would be training up to about five and a half hours a day. Um, twice in the morning, they would normally be on the water, and then once at in the afternoon. Time? So I would be in the gym at half seven for our briefing and we'd be told what the first outing was and then we'd go out on the water. Uh, we'd come back, have our second breakfast, that was always good. We'd eat before we obviously went on the water. So then we'd have our second breakfast, a little break, and then we'd go out on the water again uh, for another 20 kilometers. Um, then we would have a break, have some lunch and then a little break in the afternoon. Sometimes you'd have a quick hour nap if you could. Um, and then you do either weights or rowing machine in the afternoon. So pretty intensive. Very intensive. How many you know. days a week? So this was, we'd occasionally get Sundays off as a, a cross training day or as a day off. Um, but that is, you know, it's, we only got 
we got three weeks off a year. That's it. That's it. So three weeks off. That was our, our holiday after the World Championships or yes. after the Olympics. That was our break. So but you didn't want to lose your fitness. So you no, have to keep it up. It's important to have a break, though, for your body just to like have some time off. But then, you know, you don't lose too much fitness in those three weeks. But it means that the whole of the rest of the year, that's what you do. You train, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's raining, whether it's icy, whether it's snowing, you know, you're out in, in all weathers. So you did that for two years. Yeah. And what happened? So I tried to go to the Sydney Olympics in my single and I came second in the singles race off at our final trials, our British trials, which meant that I didn't get the slot. Now, at that... And how far back were you from number one? Oh, I was leading the race until the last ooh, minute of the eight minute race. So I was in the lead, in the lead, in the lead, and then... The, the girl who overtook me, Alison, she just, just overtook me in that last little bit. So just missed out, really. Just missed out on that, on that place to go to the Olympics. How did that um, affect you emotionally? I was absolutely gutted. I, my initial thoughts were that I've just wasted two years of my life. I thought, what was the point of rowing two years? I haven't made it. You know, for me, that was, you know, I wanted to go to Sydney and then get on with my life. So it was a, it was a real low point and... You know, my coach said to me, look, you're still on a really good standard. You know, you've just missed out on going to the Olympics. You're, you're a brilliant standard. There's other things you can do this year instead. You can go to the under 23 World Championships. You can go to Henley Roll Regatta, which is a big event within the rowing calendar. But I didn't want to do those things. I wasn't interested. My head said... Was that because you were hugely disappointed? Hugely disappointed. And, you know, the only thing I was interested in at that point was going to the Olympics. So it was almost like you threw the toys out of the... I did, I definitely did. And I just, I just was really down about it. And, and actually, it was my coach that picked me back up and said, look, finish the season off, race, do your racing. You've, you've trained for two years. Let's finish the season racing and then see how you feel. And so I did do that. I went to the Under-23 World Championships. I went to Henley Royal Regatta. And actually, I got invited to be a spare it's not really not a really nice word, is it a spare no. at the Olympics? And they, but do they call them spares? <laughs> they do, they, they do. do. They call oh them my spares. word, it's like a spare tire, isn't <laughs> yes. it? Oh dear. And so I actually ended up doing all those things. And And how did you do at those? I won at the under twenty three World Championships in my single, which was an amazing race. I absolutely loved it. And also I, I won at Henry Royal Regatta, uh, which was the first time a, a British woman had ever won that event. And so both of those races were I absolutely loved it it was just amazing an amazing time and you know that was the standard I was at I wasn't quite at Olympic standard and I hadn't seen it at the time you know I thought I was good enough but actually that year was amazing I loved those races and actually that was, it was a significant moment in both my rowing life and also in my faith because I thought that was going to be the end and actually, it was really the beginning. And there were other world championships and there were other Olympics. So tell <laughs> us about some of those. Yeah. So the first Olympics that I was selected for was Athens. That was in 2004. So four years after uh, the Sydney Olympics. And, you know, I'd never won a senior medal by that point. I'd won some minor ones, but not a major one. So we have the world championships every year that is not an Olympic year. So three world championships, then the Olympics. Um, and the, for us in our sport, the Olympics is the pinnacle. You know, we'd give up all our world championships medals for that Olympic medal. But I hadn't won any 
Olympic. I hadn't, sorry, I hadn't won any world championship medals before that point. So going to Athens was amazing. It was the first time I was representing my country at an Olympics. And Athens, what an amazing space to go to an Olympics, you know, the original home of the Olympics. Um, it was also not very well finished. They hadn't got things done in time, but then that gave it a real authentic feel, you know, yeah, I think the dusty roads and the, it just felt real. I was going to say, <laughs> I, I'm Greek. So. <laughs> yeah, it was. I get it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was a, it was a very nerve wracking time. I mean, if you think about it, by that point, I'd been rowing for seven years and we won our heat. We got straight through to the final. So you're sat on the start line in your final and you're thinking, I've just, ra I've just rowed for seven years, trained for seven years for this one six minute race. Six minutes. One six minute race, one chance to get it right, just over six minutes. And yeah, we, we had no idea what to expect. We had high hopes. We were absolutely wanted to get a medal, but we'd never won a senior medal before. So it was all up in the air. And to cross the line in second place to Germany, uh, Germany had never lost the women's quads at the Olympics. Um, so they came first, we came second, and it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. And those three girls, three of my absolute best friends still now. Um, but it's, you know, to describe the experience of being at Olympics, it's so hard to describe. I mean, you, you finish your race, you've got absolutely no energy left. Um, all our friends jumped the barriers in, in Athens and they swam out and they gave us flags and British hats and all sorts. And then you go straight to the press pontoon, the press interview, you've got no breath. I can't even understand what I'm saying. I'm just waffling away. And then you go from there to the press, um, to the medal pontoon uh, where the medals are presented. And, you know, it's such an amazing feeling. You're stood with your arms around your teammates, um, and you're not just sharing that race, you're sharing all the years of training that you've done and all the ups yeah. and downs in the lead oh. up to that race. How old were you? How old was I? That was 2004, so I was 24. Right. I was 24, yeah. And then, but then there was another Olympics. Yep, and then Beijing, but you know, we'd won the silver in Athens. So in our minds, we were like, okay, we've got the silver, next one, Olympic champion. So the whole of those four years was really, the focus was, okay, gold medal standard, gold medal standard eating, yeah. gold medal standard training, gold medal standard everything. Um, we were also world champions in the run-up to that Olympics. So I was in the boat, uh, in the quad uh, in 2006 and 2007. We'd won the world championships that year. Uh, I wasn't in the boat in 2005, but they had also won the world championships. So for that whole Olympiad, Great Britain had won the women's quad. So we went into Beijing as definitely one of the favorites. Um, great expectations, really high hopes, um, a strong crew. And we went out, we, we are a very strong crew. We won our heat again, straight through to the final. And then in the final, we led the race for about six minutes out of those six minutes and 16 seconds. It's six minutes, 16 <laughs> seconds. Uh, around that, yeah. You and just led got it. overtaken in those final, final stages by the Chinese crew, their home turf. They just pipped us at that post. And, you know, a second silver and a very different experience to Athens. We were absolutely gutted. You know, at the time, no words could console us. 
you know, we were crying on the press interview, we were crying on the podium. I need to get, we need to get our pictures redone. They look terrible. <laughs> Um, so very, very different experience for our crew. And is that because you, you felt you could have won? Yes, and we'd hoped to. And, you know, we were capable of. But, you know, that is sport. On the day, if another crew goes slightly faster, they win. And that's a hard thing to get your head around as an athlete. You know, you're capable, but you have to do it on the day. Um, you have to have the perfect race. And we didn't have a bad race. We had a really good race. But the Chinese had a, an even better race. And, you know, we'd beaten them earlier in the year. Um, but, yeah, that was hard. That was a hard time. So they beat you, like, by a second? Yeah, just, yeah, about, yeah, about around that, just over a second. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was close. So then how did you cope this time with all that emotion? Yeah, it was a real mixture. I mean, in that moment... I was just crying. You know, I couldn't even see because I was crying so much. Actually, the you know the the pictures from us. If you look at any of the pictures from us on the on the podium, I'm actually looking across to my right because I'm searching for my parents in the crowd. Actually, and you know, I was looking for them because I knew that I would feel better when I saw them because I knew that however I'd done, they they loved me regardless. They were proud of me regardless. And actually, for me, you know, I've been a Christian. Uh, quite a while by that point and you know that really in a way is a small picture of what God's like you know his care for me his love for me is unchanged whether I'm doing well whether I'm not doing well you know whether I messed up whether I've had a good race or not good race and I think for me you know that is something you know my faith has been my anchor through my sport in terms of giving me perspective you know doesn't make me immune from the ups and downs of emotions but actually, it helps me reset a lot quicker. You know, I knew by that point in Beijing that, you know, I, I'm not defined my, by my medals. Yes. You know, my identity is, is deeper than that. Because you find that in sports, it's very easy for athletes to build their identity on their successes. You know, in the world, we build our identity sometimes on you know, how well we're doing or what people say about us. And in sport, it's easy to do that, but it doesn't make any logical sense because you can go from hero to zero overnight in a bad result or in an injury. And so if you, if you think your worth and value is based on how well you're doing or on what other people say about you, which is also changeable and fickle, you know, it's an unstable place to be. And so for me as a Christian, you know, I know that my worth and value is unchanging regardless of how I'm doing in my sport. You know, God says that I have value, I have purpose, I am his masterpiece, and that doesn't change. And actually, as a Christian, I am a child of God, and nobody can take that away from me. So for me, that kind of like rock, that foundation, helps me to put other things in perspective. I know that I'm not my results. So that, that definitely helped in Beijing. And how long did it take from... Um, getting the silver medal to really standing on that rock. Yeah. Because obviously it yeah. was rocky yeah. until you stood on that rock. Absolutely. Was it days? Or I think, no, I think, I think even the next day. You, you know, got it. Yeah, because I just, it's such an amazing privilege to even be at an Olympics. And, you know, we race in the first week of the Games and then we get the second week to watch the rest of the British team competing and racing. It is an amazing privilege. And, you know, when I woke up that next day, I wanted to still enjoy that privilege and 
be proud of what I'd achieved. Like I say, we, we didn't have a bad race. We had an amazing race. And I was, you know, we were proud of each other, but we were just gutted about the results. And I think definitely even from the next day, that started to, to stand me in good stead. Now, show us some of your medals, Debbie. I mean, you have got a lot. <laughs> you have. So this is the, um, the Athens, Athens medal, Athens silver medal. Um, that was from the 2004. And the front design is always the same now. It's always the same. And on the back um, is ancient Greek. So the country can decide what they want to put on the medal. Beautiful. And then the Beijing medal. Again, the front has the same design. Wow. And then on the back is Chinese jade. Yeah. So they were, yeah, they're really special. And again, the team mates that I rode with, um, really special relationships with them. And then here are just and a then few some of, the, of your medals. A few medals. of the World Championship medals. So again, there's something very special about hearing your national anthem, which is what, you, what happens when you, when you win, which is um, brilliant. Um, so yeah, so these are my um, wonderful. three senior World Championship medals. And then my two under 23 World Championship medals. And then my, this first, first precious one as well, the, the bronze medal from the Junior World Championships. I mean, amazing. Um, when you read in the Bible, Debbie, about St. Paul's saying about running the race, <laughs> and um, we don't run just to get this. Yeah, yeah. We run for a wreath that will not perish. Mm. How, how does that make you feel? Absolutely. It's, it's interesting because I've been asked in the past, you know, oh, if I could offer you Olympic gold medals, would you swap that for your faith? But for me, you know, my faith in Jesus is worth more than anything, anything that we could ever achieve on this earth. And, you know, that doesn't just impact my eternity to be able to be with God forever when I pass away, which my medals won't come with me. But, you know, day to day, day to day life, when I became a Christian, I went from doing life in my own strength, on my own, to doing life with God. And, you know, that is an incredible privilege. I learned that, yes, God blesses us with abilities and talents and opportunities, but first and foremost, he wants a relationship with me. And as a Christian, I have a relationship with the living God. And that is something of much more worth um, and worth persevering for that than it is to, to win medals. Absolutely. What would you say to any of our viewers, Debbie, who haven't yet begun running the Christian race? What would you say to them? I would say you've got absolutely nothing to lose by investigating into who Jesus is and making that decision for yourself. And it will be the best decision you ever make. Um, so I would say, yeah, look into it. Um, be open to God speaking to you through what you read, through reading the Bible, through speaking to other Christians. Ask questions. It's important to ask your questions and uh, make that step forward. Thank you, Debbie. You, following all these amazing experiences, uh, decided it was time yeah. to almost like have a gear shift. Yeah. 
and now you work for Christians in Sport. Tell us, who are Christians in Sport? So Christians in Sport is a charity that um, their aim is to reach the world of sport for Jesus, to, um, to help people to understand who Jesus is and also to support those that are already Christians um, by walking alongside them, uh, encouraging them in their faith, um, you know, giving them resources to be able to um, grow as a Christian, but also to share their faith with others. And my particular role is to work with elite athletes. So I walk alongside elite athletes. Some have a, a Christian faith, some don't yet. And I encourage them in their sport, but also in their faith. I will open the Bible with them and direct them to God's truths. Depending on what's going on in, in life, you know, God's got something to say about all of that and cares about where they're at and what they're doing. So um, it's wonderful to be able to walk alongside the athletes. Christians in sport actually supported me when I was in the team. Uh, which I was extremely grateful for. And how do you see the future? The future, God has the future in his hands. Um, yeah, it's wonderful working alongside athletes. Um, I'm also going to be working uh, with CAP, um, Christians Against Poverty. So um, they support people to get out of severe debt. Uh, and again, you know, a big part of that is not just helping people get out of their debt, but actually giving them a hope in Christ, you know, introducing them also to um, our biggest hope that we have, which is Jesus. I hope you don't mind me asking, uh, Debbie, but you um, recently had quite a severe loss. Yeah. Are you able to tell us about that? Yeah. Again, you know, life is however long life is going to be. And rowing was a, a small part of that um, with the ups and downs and joys and losses of that. But Recently for me, it's been family has been part of my life. I got married. Um, I then had a daughter who's now two. And that was a really tricky time. She was born 10 weeks early. She was £1.13 and really struggled, but just got through. Um, but then recently, a few months ago, um, I gave birth to twin boys who were stillborn and they, they didn't make it. And again, I just know God is faithful through all of this. You know, he is in it with me. He has comforted us. He's been alongside us. And it's interesting because actually the actual day it happened, I wrote in my diary, God, I still love you. You are faithful. And it's interesting. That was that was just that wasn't it was just my natural instinctive response. And it was it's been a really hard time, a really hard time. But, you know, God's love for me doesn't change. Um, he is alongside me in all circumstances and he understands suffering. He understands how I feel, where I'm at, and he knows exactly what I need. And, you know, Jesus is all I need to sustain me each day and he, he carries us through. And, and it's, it's wonderful that you were able to express that you love God mm. and that God loves you mm. rather than blame him for mm. it. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, when we had Rebecca, my two year old, throughout that whole time, you know, we were giving we'd given her life to him. Like life is in God's hands. Yes. It is in his hands. He he will sustain or he will take away. And the reasons for that, we can't know. And, you know, he didn't sustain that life. And we we just we don't know the reasons for that. But we it's not a blame thing. It's just it is as it is. And. You know, we just trust that that's in his hands and we know that our boys are in heaven and we will see them one day. And again, that is of great, great comfort.
you are honestly Debbie an absolute inspiration it was great to hear a little of your own journey of faith and uh, keep on keeping on thank you for thank joining you. us on facing the canon thank you for having me wow wasn't that hugely inspiring i hope you found it uh, and experienced the faith lift i i feel like i have thank you so much for joining us on facing the canon please join us again you've been listening to the j john podcast to find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. One doctor developed the world's first vaccine. One civil rights activist helped to end racial segregation in the USA. One botanist developed new farming practices supporting impoverished farmers. One former slave escorted 300 others to freedom. One watchmaker saved the lives of 800 Jews and refugees during World War II. One politician persisted to see slavery legally abolished in the UK. Faith, love, generosity, sacrifice, perseverance. Heroes of the Faith, the new coffee table book by J. John. Available now at canonjjohn.com